We are starting a brand new series here today that we're calling The Radical Teachings of Jesus. The Radical Teachings of Jesus. And uh, it's going to be a multi-part series. In the middle of it, we'll have Mother's Day, even a guest speaker. But uh, I think we'll do, you know, uh, well into the next month with this series. And uh, as we jump into it today, I have a main scripture that kind of represents the series. If you'll turn with me quickly to John chapter 8 and verse 31. John chapter 8 and verse 31. In the NIV version, it says it like this, and this is Jesus speaking. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. If you hold to my teachings, then you are really my disciples. Uh, the Passion Translation, or the paraphrase, the Passion uh, Translation says it like this. When you continue to embrace all that I teach, you prove that you are my true followers. This is Jesus' words, and what he's doing, he's, he's qualifying what a Christian or disciple or follower is. It's those of us who hold to his teachings. What he's also doing, by way of default, is communicating if we're not holding to his teachings, then we're not really one of his followers. We're not really a Christian, if you will. George Barna, years ago, did research and, uh, across the United States. 82% of Americans claim to be Christian, but only 4% actually believed what Jesus taught and held to him. So what you have is 78% of Americans, this has been years ago, that thought they were Christians, but they really weren't because they believed a couple things that Jesus taught against. They believed things like multiple ways to heaven, any religion will get you there. They didn't believe that Jesus necessarily was the Messiah, but yet they called themselves Christian. They didn't believe that God, Jesus, and, who, and Satan are who the Bible says they are. They didn't believe the Bible was, if you will, infallible. And so there was really these conflict on what is a Christian and what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Well, Jesus clears this up in this passage. He says, you're mine if you obey my teachings. Well, here's the problem with that. How do I know if I'm his if I don't know what he's teaching and whether or not I'm actually following those teachings? So we're going to jump in for the next few weeks into some of the teachings that Jesus taught. And some of his teachings were radical for his generation. They're radical in reference to our culture. They're ra radical in some ways in the way you and I uh, grew up and maybe our sin nature won't like them. And I'm using the word radical, not in a radical militant way, but as in a opposing the way we might would think way, which is what many, much of his teaching did because it goes against our sin nature. And so as Jesus makes this statement, he clarifies that you and I literally have to become a follower by way of going after his teachings. And so I would explain it like in the act like he loved Jesus. The more you and I study his teachings, what happens is you and I begin to act like he. We begin to do what he does because we come into relationship with him by what he said. We begin to emulate him, if you will. Your children emulate you. They act like you. They, they do some funny things. You know, uh, Miss Jamie had me dying laughing a couple months ago when she was speaking, when she was talking about serving in the kids' ministry, uh, you know, months ago. And this one little boy, she had this little fake uh, milk carton, and, he, and he, he pointed at it and started laughing. He was about three years old. And what word did he use in he said, cerveza. Miss Shane was like, no, 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 no. And, and you use, Miss Shane went, no, leche. And he goes, no, 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 cerveza. And she goes, no, 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 it's milk, kid. And, uh, and he goes, no, no, cerveza. And, I, and the whole time she was telling me the story, I was thinking, there's a parent in here that has been getting their cerveza, whatever. On. And, uh, and, and, and little Johnny, he'd be watching, right? None of you guys, I know it was some visiting person who's never come back to our church. But our kids emulate us. They 
do what we do. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've seen this recent commercial that's got all these uh, Elvis impersonators in the commercial. It's hilarious, right? And, and, and if you've ever studied these guys that are impersonators, you know, whether it be Elvis or somebody else like on the Hollywood Strip or, you know, in Vegas or something like this, they go into great lengths to know the person that they're trying to emulate. They, they study everything, study video footage of them. They try to get their, you know, these Elvis impersonators. They get that little, hey, how you, hey, uh, uh, and they get that whole, they, 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 they get the inflection, they get the little look, they do their little lip like that, and they're still talking like that. And they're still, boy, even the Asian guy, man, even the Asian guy looks like Elvis. It's amazing. I thought, I mean, he is amazing. That dude right there is better Elvis than Elvis was. And I, 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 I'm old enough to remember Elvis. But it's, the reason why they're able to emulate them so well is because they study them. And that's what Jesus was talking about. You're my disciples if you study me, if you, if you emulate me. That's my disciples. And so how do we know what he taught? Well, we want to jump into those teachings in this series. And today... We're actually going to start with one one of his core teachings, and we're calling this in part one, we're calling the teaching that he he talked about the commitment to the relationship. Commitment to the relationship. We'll start in Matthew chapter 7. Kind of study this passage for a little bit today. Matthew chapter 7, turn there quickly in verse 21. Jesus said it like this. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons and perform many miracles, verse 23. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, let me, let me kind of set the pace of where Jesus is teaching this, this, this principle. He's teaching this whole commitment to, to the relationship with him. He's on the side of a mountain. This is considered the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, it takes up Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We're reading chapter 7. What has transpired in chapter 4 is Jesus has started his ministry, and he's gone around, and he's recruited. He's gone up to different ones, and he said, hey, come follow me. Leave your tax collecting, come follow me. Hey, leave your fishery aside, leave your boat, everything, come follow me. And they literally did. Peter leaves everything. He, leaves, he puts a padlock on the shop, and he walks away from it. He walks away from his clients. He walks away from, from, from his, his, his industry. He walks away from all that and just goes and follows Jesus, as all 12 did. Jesus asked him to come follow. And then as they're following him, this is coming together, crowds start gathering because Jesus is moving in miracles. And so Jesus sets all his disciples down, and the insinuation is large crowds as well, and he begins to teach them his doctrine. He begins to show them his way. In Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and, and, and he teaches things that we'll get into in this series, things like love your enemy. He, he goes into all these teachings which are pretty radical to the people. But when he goes into this one, this is the last big teaching on the Sermon on the Mount moment. He, he goes in in chapter 7, verse 21, and he begins to make a statement and a teaching that literally blows, his, blows their mind. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons, perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. The reason why this is such a radical teaching is because who's teaching and who's he teaching? It's Jesus, a Jew, teaching Jews. Now you've got to understand culturally and their mindset. Jews are God's chosen people. They are born a Christian. They are going to heaven no matter, they may have been an obedient Jew or a disobedient Jew in life, but it don't matter. They're God's chosen people. This is their concept. This is their mindset. 
We are Jews. We are born into it. Everyone else is pagan. Everyone else is the enemy. We are God's special people. Unbeknownst to them, they've missed it over hundreds of years. God, yes, he picked them so that they could be light to everyone else, so they could bring everyone else to God, but they refused to do that. Instead, they encapsulated themselves and said everyone else is wicked. Does that sound like anybody we know to date? And so Jesus turns this whole thing upside down when he says, hey, let me explain something to you. Many of you are going to happen to come to me in that day, at the day of decision, at, excuse me, at the day of reckoning. This, and I'm going to tell you clearly. And you're going to say to me, what? What do you mean? I did this and I did this. And I'm going to tell you clearly, I don't know you. And what he does is he sets into play the genuine doctrine of heaven. See, up until this point, the Jews, everyone thinks that because I am born into this. Some of you grew up Catholic. And it used, to, it used to be the funniest thing for me to witness to a Catholic person. I would say, hey, listen, do you know Jesus? And they were like, I'm Catholic. Yeah, I know, I know. But if you died tomorrow, would you go to heaven? They go, I'm Catholic. And I would tell them, that has nothing to do with nothing. You know, that doesn't mean anything. You know, I'm a longhorn, but that doesn't mean I'm going to heaven. Do you know Jesus? And they would go, well, I'm Catholic. And the reason why is because whatever Catholic church they went to had taught them, you're born into it. We, we baptized you at infancy. You never had to make a decision. The decision was made for you. And now from this point forward, when you make mistakes, just do penance, pay for it. And at the end of it all, you know, you may end up in some purgatory because you weren't good, but we'll pray you out of it. And that was their, that's, that's their doctrine, if you will. Jesus turns all of that concept on upside down when he says, listen, it doesn't matter if you did good or bad. It doesn't matter. Some of you are going to say, hey, I prophesied in your name. I even prayed for somebody. They got healed, and I did it in your name. And he's going to say, but I say to them plainly, I never knew you. What Jesus does is he takes this thing, and he puts it in proper perspective. Christianity is not about good and bad. Christianity, but it, it, Christianity is about who you know. It's not about good or bad, what you did do, what you didn't do right. It's about who you know. And what happens is you and I, don't, maybe we don't grasp this teaching of Christ properly. See, doing good is a result of who I know. Uh, doing good doesn't create a space for me to get to go to heaven. And there's, the whole world is kind of mixed up with this thing. Well, I give to poor people. I go to church every now and then. Surely that's enough to get me into heaven. Well, the problem with that is, is that they're still Lord. And what Jesus is teaching is the only way you get to heaven is through me because I am the Lord. I am the Son of God. I am King of kings and Lord of lords. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me, which is a challenge when you want to be your own Lord, when you and I want to be in charge of our own life and do what we want to do, how we want to do it. So when we read the Bible and we say, I don't really agree with that, that's the issue right there. For him to be Lord, we have to say, I don't like it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey it because this is what my Savior taught. I am emulating him. This is the premise of Christianity. Genuine Christianity, Jesus sets the genuine Christianity formula by this. Doing the will of God is the result of really knowing God. The only way to get to heaven is to do the will of God because I know God. And they'll say, but I thought I was doing God's will. Yeah, but you didn't know me. I didn't know you. Here's the, kind of the conflict, right? Uh, years ago, I, I told this story before, but it's my story, so I'll tell it again. Uh, years ago, uh, you know, we're from Louisiana, so I was out street witnessing one night around LSU, the greatest university in the country. Just want to point that out. Where's my boy? And so I was out street witnessing, one o'clock in the morning, 
LSU, every, all around the student, you know, the student dorms and stuff, and they're all drunk and out of their mind and partying. And I think it's a Friday night or something, and, and so I've got a couple guys with me, and we come around the corner, and there's these guys, uh, these huge black dudes sitting down, and as I walked up to them, I started talking to them, the, guys, the guy right across from me sitting down on the steps, he's sitting down on the steps, he's still taller than me. Now I'm short, but I ain't that short, I'm going to tell you that right now. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm telling, hey, guys, we're just out here. Man, we just want you to know Jesus, man. Do you realize one day you're going to die, and then you're going to give an account for your life? And the whole time I'm talking, I'm looking down at this dude's feet, and they are huge. I'm just looking at them, and finally it hits me. This is Shaquille O'Neal. This is Shaq, because he played basketball at LSU. I was like, oh, my. And I will confess, for a moment, in the back of my mind, I had this thought. You get Shaq saved. And he's going to finance your ministry for the rest of your life. Shaq, I just have a word from the Lord. I see, I see money coming to, you know, <laughs> all the false prophets. And so anyway, so, and so I'm sitting there looking at it, and, and, and then I, I realize, dude, it's Shaq. Dude, I'm so sorry I didn't recognize you. Oh, it's all right, it's all right, it's all right. And I said, hey, bro. Listen, man, I, I'm not out here trying to get a notch on my belt. Dude, we just, dude, I, I used to be lost, and, 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 and I met Jesus, and he changed my life, bro. And I, I just don't want anybody to die and go to hell. And you don't have to. Jesus made a way. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And they're, and they're all, I mean, they're, they're knocking back cold ones like crazy. And, uh, and I said, so Shaq, man, ask me something, answer me something, man. You ready to meet Jesus right now? And he goes, man, I got to be honest with you. My mom, she raised me up in church. He said, well, I just don't want that right now. He said, I'm having too much fun, man. I'll be honest. I don't want to be no hypocrite. I appreciated that about him. I said, well, Shaq, do you mind if I pray for you for a second? No, that's all right. So he bowed his head, and the other dudes, uh, they were also, you know, basketball players. Uh, he bowed his head, and I, I laid my hands on him. I said, oh, God. <laughs> God. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't do that. I just I said, <laughs> I'm like, Lord, please help Shaquille O'Neal to... To, to know you and amen and that kind of stuff. Now, let's just venture to say you're over at the American Airlines Centers over the next couple months and there's some activity going on and somehow you get, you know, your security pass back where all the VIPs are at. You, you see Shaquille O'Neal. Let's say you, you ran up to him and said, Shaq, I'm so-and-so and my pastor is Adam McCain. He was just talking about you. Shaq's going to be like, who? Or, uh, who? He goes, no, no, my pastor. You was at LSU, and you was like, you sitting down, you drinking that cola, and he, he prayed for you. He's going to say, man, I, I don't know who you're talking about. What he'd be able to say is, I might have met him, but I don't know him. This is what Jesus is qualifying. You might have met me. You might even watch me on TV, but you don't know me. You don't know my favorite color. You don't know what breaks my heart. You don't understand why I do what I do? Because you don't know me. That word to know in that passage is to know intimately, to desire, to understand, to know. What's happened is, and dead religion teaches us, if you do, just do good, that then will get you where you want to go. And Jesus takes that, and we're talking about a radical teaching, he throws that over on its head. He says, no, sir, I don't care if you've prophesied in my name. I don't care if you've healed people in my name. If you don't know me, there is no heaven. You're not mine. If you don't know my teachings and follow me and emulate me, you're not mine. I love you. I want you to be mine, but you're not mine because you haven't committed to the relationship. You've met me. We've engaged a little bit, 
but you've not committed to the relationship. The only way I even know to help you grasp what Jesus is looking for and what he's teaching here about the committing of a relationship is, is how we do that in a marriage engagement. How you and I, uh, that, that, that maybe we're single, and then when we decided to get married and that whole engagement. And, and, and you, you know, we have this precious couple. I mean, they are our key kids ministers, uh, the Jenkins. I don't know if you've met them, Gabby and Stephen. They're, they're ministering to your kids right now. They're phenomenal. And uh, they are amazing leaders. When they first came to our church, way back in the day, we were a little small church meeting on Sunday nights in the Methodist church. And, uh, and they came and showed up. And Gabby, here's this sweetheart. She's tatted all up, but precious, creative, and that kind of thing. And she, and she really comes back to the Lord, and she starts bringing her husband, uh, her boyfriend, or live-in. They've got a kid together, and uh, starts bringing Steve in. And, and Stephen, he, he, the whole time I'm ministering, so he's looking at me like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I asked him if I could take him out to eat. We went to Sam's Pizza. And I'll never forget sitting across from Stephen and saying, hey, bro, tell me about, about, about your thoughts on Jesus. And he began to literally tell me stories that would make me not believe in Jesus either, of what he'd been through. And I just qualified for him. I said, bro, I, I'm sorry that all that happened, but that's not the real Jesus. And, and, and we just engaged, and we did life, and he couldn't believe that a pastor was a real person and that, and that we have fears and doubts, and, and we have to rely on Jesus just like everybody else, that we're not you know, the spawn of heaven, like, like we are f- flesh that God has breathed life into like the rest of us. And something in that started shifting in his heart, and I'll never forget when they actually... One Sunday night, he, go, he, come, he comes up to me, and, and I kept asking him, I was like, dude, when are you going to marry her? Why, why, why won't you marry her? And, uh, and, and he just, he, he didn't have a real good answer. And so, finally, one Sunday night after service, he came up to me and said, it's time, I've got I to gotta marry Gabby. And then just the whole thing was beautiful. And, and I just, what I did yesterday is I called him, and I said, listen, will you, will you help me explain what you were going through, your fear of commitment and what that kind of looked like, and could you help me explain that to everybody today? And so we actually, we're going to let you uh, snoop in on our private phone conversation last night uh, about what they went through and how they actually uh, came to the place of making a commitment to be married. And so play that for them for just a moment. Hey! Hey, guys, it's Pastor Adam, and I am now on the phone with Gabby and Stephen Jenkins. Hey, guys, thanks for taking my call tonight. Absolutely. No problem, PA. Hey, I wanted to call you guys. I was telling the church this morning about how you guys, um, how you how you got married, how you came to our church, and you guys were this beautiful couple, and I uh, had a kid together, and uh, but you weren't married. And Stephen, I remember that day. It was you know we had the services on Sunday night when you came up to me and you said, "I got to marry this girl." I, I want you just to relay that moment to everybody, just kind of what was going through your mind and why now of all times, you know, tell us about that. Yeah, well, um, it all started with Gabby coming back to the church, and I was still turning away from it. She was going without me at the time. She drugged me back, kicking and screaming, and then as I began to see how she changed, she really just overnight really became like the best parts of her started to kind of shine through as she started coming back. And so it just really started to dawn on me that I needed to, you know, really take that leap and decided to make that commitment, and uh, she became the person that I really wanted to make that commitment with. Yeah, you guys had such a beautiful family, and I remember that night, and you were like, hey, I need to marry this girl, and it was really cool because the whole church just kind of rallied. We were a smaller church, and you guys didn't have any money. We didn't have any buildings because we were renting the Methodist church at the time, and, and, man, that was really cool. Everybody came together, and I think Gabby got a dress at the last second, and we went to one of our members' 
front yard and they decorated it. It was one of the most beautiful weddings I've, I've ever done. It was unbelievable. Speak to it, Gabby. It was really precious. Yeah, it really speaks to um, when you get connected in the church and with a small group, you know, which at the time was a whole church. <laughs> yeah. Um, how how much how much love everyone has to give. Like when you're in a good, healthy body, how much they want to be like Jesus and just pour that out on you. And so yeah. that wedding really was the whole body working together to love us. And they really yeah. blessed us beyond belief because we would have we would have got married down at City Hall, you know. Right. Gabby, do you think that you guys would still be together had you not gone deeper into your relationship by getting married? Unfortunately, I don't I don't think we would have because we both had big commitment issues and we were living on fear a lot of the time in our relationship. And so yeah. jumping in together and making that commitment with Jesus in front of our family and our newfound church family really helped us to look at each other and say, I'm in this. I'm in this with you, and let's bring the Lord in this and make this better and be better people. You know, I saw that, too. I saw that happen. When you guys got married, it was like I saw the fear in Steve's eyes and in your eyes. I saw it disappear. It's like, okay, this person's going to love me forever, no matter what we've been through in the past with other people in our lives. This is the real deal, and though it may get difficult and maybe hard, uh, this person's going to stick it out with me, and I really saw that. I saw, I, and I saw you guys change as a result. It was really powerful. Hey, thank you guys for taking the call tonight and helping the church. Hey, would you uh, just say a good goodbye to everybody and tell them how much you love them? Bye, Church on the Hill. We, we love, love you. you. God bless. Yeah, come on. Thank you guys for. Uh, yeah. Thank you for creeping on our private conversation. I appreciate yeah. you doing that. Now I'm being silly. Jesus in this passage in the Sermon on the Mount, what he does is he identifies something. He identifies and exposes that many people want the benefits of the relationship without wanting to enter into the commitment of the relationship. Want the benefits of it. <clears throat> you know, wants the in, they want the intimacy, the excitement, but they also want to be able to have a quick out in case things go south, in case it gets tough. I think they call it the seven-year itch. At first service, I called it the eight-year itch. And they were like, no, it's seven. We see that happen in marriages all the time. It's like, you know what? I did make a commitment, but I didn't really mean it right now. We're going through a hard time, so I, I just want to take off. I want to find something easier, something better, something simpler. What Jesus is asking for, what he demands, is that if we're going to be in a relationship with him, it needs to be a commitment to the relationship. You say, why would he demand that? Oh, I don't know, because mm, he gave everything to the relationship, like dying on a cross. Or something like that. And what he expects in return is that that would be a, a, a give and take relationship. That you and I as well would give ourselves to him completely. Nothing worse to be in a relationship and you're giving, you're giving more than the other person's given. That's not a relationship. What that is is servanthood. And, and, and what needs to happen is life needs to shift in that. And there needs to be a full giving commitment to that relationship. And that's what Jesus asked for. In fact, he has this conflict with a young rich ruler that I want to study for a second with you. In Luke chapter 18... A rich, young ruler. Come on, ladies. That's what you've been praying for. Rich, young ruler in Luke chapter 18. Well, Jamie, at least you got two of the three, baby. In Luke chapter 18, in verse 18, it says, A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. 
You know the commandments. Do, what, do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Uh, do not give false wit- testimony. Honor your father and mother. All of these I have kept since I was a boy. He said, verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and come give to the poor and then you'll have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. This passage starts off with Jesus with this engagement. Again, he's taught this. He's taught that, that true, genuine Christianity is to, to commit to the relationship. Come follow me. Come take on my belief system. Come be with me. Come give yourselves to me. And he walks this out with this young, rich ruler months later. Who This guy shows up to him. He says, good teacher. Now, even in that statement, you've got to understand something that's being qualified. This dude right here recognizes that Jesus is the hot new preacher. Dude, he is all over TV. Everybody's talking his name. Well, this is a young, rich ruler. He didn't get young and rich by accident. He's a networking machine, baby. He understands. Look, if you want to go somewhere, you got to tie to people who are going somewhere. And he sees, man, this dude right here is going somewhere. So what I'll do is I'll make him my rabbi. Woo, come on, I'm going to get the big name preacher. I'll go to his church. And then when he tweets out that, that I came to his church, what now? Look, now I'm going to get more followers. So he calls him good teacher. Jesus said, why do you call me good teacher? Nobody's good but God. What you're refusing to do is call me Messiah, which is what I am. What you want is a good rabbi. You want a networking friend. What you want is someone to make you feel good about your spirituality or the lack thereof. I'm not that, buddy. I am the Messiah. Well, what must I do to have eternal life? Well, do what you've always been doing. Go obey the commandments. Oh, I keep all of those commandments. See, right there, I'd have been like, liar, and I'd have fried him right there. I'd have fried him right there. That's why I'm not Jesus. I'm going to tell you that right now. Just zapped his sucker right there. And Jesus said, oh, okay, all right, well, I'll tell you what you do then. Let's get to the heart of the matter, son. Let's get to the heart of who you are and what your identity is. Go sell all you have. Give it to the poor. Then come follow me. Come know me. The Bible says that the dude was sad. And it, and it, and it qualifies why he was sad, because he had a lot of money. His identity was wrapped in the fact that he was wealthy prosperous, prestigious when he walked in the room. Everybody goes, that's him, dude. That's, that's, the, that's the Mark Cuban of our, what? That dude's brilliant. Wow. Who? He was tied to that. See, can I explain something to you? For you and I to be followers of Jesus, we have to untie from everything else, and our identity has to be in Christ. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And he's not willing to do that. Why? Because he is so wrapped in the prestige of being rich. Can I tell you something? God doesn't care if you're rich. He don't care if you have money. He just don't want money to have you. He don't care about that. Because if you're wealthy, you get to be a conduit for all that God wants to do in the earth. Unless you're wrapped in the identity of what you drive, who you hang out with. And, and Jesus is some side note that you want to add to your, and to your portfolio. And Jesus confronts his portfolio desire. And said, no, son. No, I tell you what. You really want to be a follower? You want to be righteous? You want to see eternal life? Go sell everything. Come follow me. Come on. Come know me. Because why? He's already qualified. Matthew chapter 7. That heaven is determined upon one thing, not what you do, but who you know. Yep. Not what you do, who you know. And I don't know you. You did some good things, but I don't know you. We are not in relationship. I might have met you. You might have read up about me, but I don't know you and you don't know me. And as a result, you're not getting in and you're not a part of me. Because those who are my disciples obey and follow my teachings. 
thereby becoming like me, emulating me in all they say and do. And it says that the young man was very sad. And then Jesus leans in and he says something to him. He says, dude, it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's like a camel having to go through the eye of a needle. Now, if you don't understand the colloquialism right there, you'll be like, what? Like a camel's got to go through, you know, eye of a needle, what? What, he, what he's referring to is there was a little door on, around on cities, these little doors to get into the city called the eye of the needle. See, in ancient times, you never knew who was going to attack you. And so you built walls around your city, and you'd have these big gates. And during the day, those gates would open up, and then people would come in and out and do business. Because not everybody lived within the city walls, but all the activities of business happened within the city walls. And you would bring your crops in and you'd sell them at market. And these things would go back and forth. And then, and then what happened was once it got, the, the sun started setting, they would lock those city gates because they didn't, they didn't want marauders coming in in the night, sneaking. They didn't have electricity to be able to tell who really was a good guy, who was a bad guy. They had no way of knowing that. And so if you didn't shut the gates and people were trying to sleep, whatever's happening inside the city, people were murdering them in the night, running off out into the darkness outside the gate and, and coming and going without any kind of real protection. So they would lock those doors. And then they had this little door off to the side, very, barely big enough for you to even go through it, much less bring all of your produce and whatever else through it. And so what would happen is in those days, they would put guards there at night, and those guards would stand, kind of like going through security at the airport. And they'd make you strip down, baby. They want to see what you got under that there robe, buddy. Let pull, pull that robe back. Let's see what you got. What you got in that bag. Come on, have you ever been frisked like that? I, I, there are times I worry that they would put that plastic glove. Anyway, so, and so they're having this moment, right? And Jesus is explaining, see what happens. You got to understand, in our day, the way, way product gets back and forth from places is we use big ships to bring them over from China. And then what will happen is Walmart will pick them up at the dock in their trucks, and then they'll bring it to their distribution center, and they'll be all stacked up on all these pallets all up in the air, and then they'll bring some of that over to the, your local Walmart, and we watch these trucks, 18-wheelers, go back and forth on our highways. Well, the highway you know, uh, uh, carriers of, of product in their day were camels. They were pretty much the, the, the backpack, you know, the, the ones that would do, they were the 18-wheelers of our day. And so what, what Jesus is referring to was if you got there once the gates had already, already closed and you had all your camels loaded down, with all, but you got there late, the sun went down, you got held up, you had a blowout on one of your camels. I mean, you had to, you know, had to change out a leg or something, but now you finally made it there and you got to go through this door. And what they would have to do is put that camel down on its knees and unpack everything that they had packed up unpack it all and then take those take those those carriage carriage pieces and they would bring them inside and set it down and go get another one outside the door and they'd have to bring and it would take hours and if you're standing behind those camels in line you're so mad you're so angry it is so hard and so frustrating and the reason why it's so hard and frustrating because you've got to unpack everything and then that camel literally has to crawl on its knees to get through that door. He said, it's hard for a man who's so caught up in all the other things is his identity to follow me because they got to unpack all that, set it all aside and come follow me. Because I am the door. I am the way that leads. You got to come through me, buddy, which means you got to unpack everything that's been your identity, everything that you, you're the guy who goes out and gets drunk with all the friends. You got to unpack that if you're going to follow me. You're the guy who loses his mind at work and puts everybody in fear so they live on edges. They live 
on an edge because, you know, you're a good boss because you get it done for the company, but everybody hates you because you're such a jerk. You got to unpack that because I am the servant of all. I came in lowly of nature and I got it done. You got to unpack all that to follow Jesus. Are you with me? Say yes. And in that, there is a commitment to the relationship and that's what he's requiring. That's what he's asking for. Will you commit to the relationship? Will you go deeper than just a, I love you? Will you get down in it? Will you be with me during the good and the bad? Will you put a ring on it and say, I'm with you, Jesus, no matter what happens. I'm with you. My life is in you. This teaching rocks the Jewish community. They're like, what? All we have to do is follow the Torah. No, 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 you got to know me. And today, this same teaching stands in place of his radical teachings. You and I aren't going to heaven because we did good things. We're going to heaven because who we know. Either we know him or we don't. Either we know him intimately or we don't. And that whole commitment to that relationship is when it starts growing. See, you can flirt back and forth with Jesus. And you can live with her, bro. But the reason why you won't marry her is because you've got some fears. You've got some insecurities. Because the last woman treated you a certain way. Because she took your car. Because you lost your kids over it. Or whatever the case may be. So you've got commitment issues. And I watch people do the same thing with Jesus. They have commitment issues. Because they went to a church where the guy stole the money. Because they went to this. This has nothing to do with the church. This has everything to do with you and Jesus. When you stand on that day and you start complaining, well, I just didn't because, you know, I saw this guy was a hypocrite. And he's going to look at you and go, what does that have to do with you and me? What does that have to do with you and me? See, Christianity is not about good and bad. It's about knowing God. And as you know Jesus and you start emulating him and obeying his teachings, you start doing God's will. You don't do God's will and somehow become a Christian. You follow Jesus, fall in love with Jesus, commit to the relationship, and in that commitment, day after day, you start changing. That's why it ticks me off when I meet people who've been saved, Christians, for 40 years, and they're still jerks, and they're still rude, and, and, and like, like they gossip and talk bad about you. Like, dude, by, you've been saved. You've known Jesus for 40 years. You've been, you've been becoming like him. When you drive past the doggone graveyard, bodies should start getting up, dude. What is, what's happening here? What happened was they made a half commitment instead of a full commitment. They've shacked up with Jesus, but they're not committed to Jesus. And friend, that is genuine Christianity. That you and I, that we know him and that we commit to the relationship, good or bad, like it or not like it. There are things in the Bible when I read them I'm like, no, 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 no. No. Especially when we get to love your neighbor next week. No. Love your, I'm not, I pray for my enemies. I pray right now hemorrhoids on them in Jesus' name. No. No. But it doesn't matter if I like it. I mean, I'm committed to him. And so I obey whether I like it or not, whether my culture says that's right or not, because that's what he said. Because Jesus is Lord, not Adam. I'm not Lord of my life. I've surrendered to him and let him be Lord of my life. I believe if Jesus was standing here today, he'd ask you and I a few questions. I think the first question he would ask you and me is, are we committed to him or to the benefits of being with him? I think we'd look at it and say, do you love me or do you just like the benefits that come from being with me? I think he'd ask the question, do you really know me or do you just know about me? I think he might would ask us, hey, I died for you. Are you willing to live for me? And the last question I think if Jesus was standing here, he might would ask is, what in your life am I completely from really following me? 
and being completely committed to me. Because I'm completely committed to you. Nothing more frustrating to be in a relationship where they're cheating on you. Nothing more frustrating to feel like you're giving everything, they're giving nothing. But they're benefiting from the fact that you cohabitate and you watch their kids for them. Or you cook for them. Nothing more angry to come up out of your heart when you feel like, hey, this is cohabitation, this is not commitment. When Gabby and Stephen made the commitment, I watched it change. I watched their love deepen. I watched their security, who they were, just rise up. Of course, Jesus was in the middle of it, so it brought life to all of that. See, in a relationship, there are two parts. There's the private commitment of the relationship, and there's the public commitment. I love my wife with all of my heart. I love her privately. And can you imagine if publicly I stood around going, my old lady, I told my old lady the other day. First off, I'd have my nose broken probably if I had to guess. <laughs> or can you imagine if we we're on the stage every Sunday, oh, I love you, Miss Jamie, you're the greatest. And then, and then when we get home, I beat on her. I humiliate her, call her stupid. See, in a relationship, there are, there, there are the two pieces. There's the private side of the relationship, the private commitment, and then there's the public commitment. Those of you that have been coming to Church on the Hill, every Sunday I ask you, are you ready to make a private commitment? Would you like Jesus to come into your life? And I teach you, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, this is for you and him. This is personal. This is deep. This is you and him. Are you ready to make a private commitment to him and a relationship with him? And many of you raise your hand and say, yes, Pastor, I'm ready. I want that now. But then what happens is, like on a day today, then I ask you, are you ready to now go public with your commitment? Are you willing to be water baptized? And tell all your family and friends, hey, listen, I may not be perfect, but I love Jesus. See, baptism is not salvation. Baptism is a public display of your love for Jesus. In front of everybody, I'm getting water baptized because I want everyone to know, not only did my Jesus get water baptized, but he asked me to do that, and I serve him publicly in front of everyone to see. I want to post it all over Instagram. I want everybody to know I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's why he says, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my father. Why? Because it's a relationship, right? If I'm ashamed of Miss Jamie in front of you, then why would she not be ashamed of me in front of everybody too? And that's what Jesus is teaching. Jesus' based teaching on what Christianity is, on what it is to follow him, is to obey his teachings through a commitment of love, a real commitment of love, to go deeper than just a shallow, I like him, Jesus is fun, he's good. Oh, he taught that? I don't believe that. I ain't doing that. I ain't doing that. A real commitment, a real connectivity. I want you to stand with me all across the room today. You guys have been so gracious. I want to minister to you for a couple moments as we go to dismiss. And I'd like you to take a moment and just kind of bow your head and close your eyes just to kind of create some private space for you, some personal space where you can have some intimate communication with Jesus Christ. With your head bowed and your eye closed, what would hinder you from going deeper in your commitment to Jesus Christ? What, what keeps you in a shallow relationship, if you will? Do you know Jesus or do you know about him? Is he your best friend or is he an acquaintance? Is that relationship continuing to deepen or is it just a business relationship? You do a little something for him every day expecting to get a paycheck at the end of it all. Jesus tells him, he says, depart from me, I never knew you. 
Yeah, but didn't we do this and didn't we do that? Yeah, I guess, maybe, sure. But I don't know you. How liberating should it be for you and me that we don't have to try to be good and do good to be accepted? My poor Muslim friends, they don't know if they're going to get paradise. They don't know. They don't have any concept of security because it's a false religion. Jesus said, listen, you don't have to perform for me. Just come to me. Come follow me. Come follow me. I I will transform your life. As you follow me, as you hang out with me, you're going to become like me. You're going to be doing good and you won't even realize it. My nature will become your nature. My way of thinking will become your way of thinking. You'll start looking like me and acting like me. And friend, that is what Paul cried out for. He said, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, somehow obtaining to his likeness. <laughs> Paul, the great apostle, I still don't get it. I don't still fully have it grasped, but I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to somehow obtain to his likeness. There's still too much Paul in here. Friend, this is a journey. 26 years, Jamie and I have been married. And every day, I get to know her a little bit better. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Jesus loves you, friend. He loves you, Christian. What do you from going deeper in the relationship? What do you need to unpackage to get through the door? What has held up the friendship? What has belayed held you up when instead it should have been Jesus holding you up. Father, we come before you today. We ask you enlighten us. Show us, Jesus. We love you. Lord, we hear your teaching on what it is to be a follower. But we recognize that we can't, just because we grew up in church doesn't mean we're going to heaven. Just because we know all about you because we went to a Christian school or because we went to Bible school, that doesn't mean we know you. Jesus, we want to repent for where we have not engaged you and committed to you, an area that we've left unchecked. We ask you to forgive us, help us. We redefine that our heart is to serve you and to love you with everything that's within us. Help us to find that place, oh God, that has held us up. Help us to be able to identify the fear, the anger, that peace that said, no, no, I'm not going any further. I can't just trust Jesus that far. Lord, deliver us. Deliver us today. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give a call for anyone who might say, Pastor, i got to be honest. You talk about Jesus like he's your best friend. And he, he is. He's my best friend. But maybe you'd say, Pastor, I don't, I don't know him like that. I know a little bit of religion. I know a little bit about going to church. But i got to be honest with you. I'm pretty sure if I died today, I wouldn't go to heaven. I'm pretty sure that I, I'm pretty sure he would look at me and say, man, I don't know you. Hey, i got such good news. That doesn't have to be the end of your story. Jesus said it like this. If you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that I'm the Christ, the son of the living God, I will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What he's talking about is I'll start the relationship with you if you'll just open the door. I'll start it. We'll start the relationship. You'll be forgiven. You'll be cleansed. You you won't have to go to hell. But I want to start the relationship when you confess and believe in me. I picture it like this if we were at a party and my best friend Jesus was sitting at a table and I grabbed you and I was like, dude, you got to come meet my Jesus. And as I grabbed him and I brought you, I grabbed you and I brought you over and said, Jesus, this is my friend Tom. And you started a conversation. You started an engagement. 
that's what's about to happen for any of you who've been away from the Lord. Maybe you say, Pastor, I used to be a Christian, but I, but I walked away, man. I'm separated. I'm divorced. He's not mad. He wants you back. Or maybe you say, Pastor, I've never been a Christian. Today, I want to confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that he is Christ. Friend, I want to lead you. I want to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of repentance, a prayer of coming to Christ, a prayer of dedicating your life, a prayer of making Jesus your best friend. I'd like to lead you in that prayer. No one's looking around. This is a very deep and private decision. This is about you and God, about his Savior, Jesus Christ, his Son. Do you want him in your life or not? And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you come to the conclusion, yes, I want Jesus in my life. Yes, I'm away from God, but I don't want that anymore. I want to ask Jesus into my life. I'd like to pray with you. I'm not going to call you forward. I don't want to point you out. I'm not trying to get a notch on my belt. I just don't want you to leave here without, without having a moment to make a decision for Jesus. No one's looking around. If that's you, say, Pastor, it's me. It's time. I'm ready. I'm ready to serve God. Would you just quietly and quickly slip your hand up and acknowledge that to me and to heaven? No one's looking. This is me, you, and heaven. God bless you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. God bless you. Anybody else? You can put it back. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you for your honesty. May you never be the same. You can put it back down. Anybody else? Okay, thank you, sweet love. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for, for your honesty. Today's a day of change. Thank you. Thanks for being bold. Admitting that to yourself, I saw it. Anybody else? Give me just a couple more seconds. Hey, man, you can put your hands down. I want to lead you in that prayer, that prayer of repentance, that prayer of dedication, that confessing with your mouth. I don't think there's anything magical about the words we're about to pray. I think what's supernatural is you said, I want God. You threw your hand up in the air. That's huge. That's God. Only God can do that. I'm not smart enough. I'm not inspiring enough to talk you into that. This is a deep, deep decision for you. This is that personal decision we were talking about. And I want to lead you in a prayer. In fact, I'm going to ask everyone in the audience to pray out loud alongside of you. But those of you that lifted your hand, I need you to mean it with all of your heart. Can we do that together now? Let's say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner. I recognize you and against heaven. And I ask you now to forgive me. Wash me clean from my sin. I accept what you did on the cross for me. Here and now, write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I accept the grace and the mercy that you are pouring out. And here and now, I declare Jesus is my Lord and I will serve you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name for every man and woman who prayed that prayer from the depth of their heart, who asked you into their life. I pray they would feel and sense the cleanliness of God, that they would know that there's no more elephant in the room. They don't have to be ashamed, that they can leave this place today with their head held high and their shoulders back saying, you know what? I may not be perfect, but I am forgiven. I may make mistakes, but I'm still a son and I'm a daughter of the Most High God. Father, I pray right now that the peace that surpasses all understanding would begin to guard their heart and mind through Christ Jesus. That the joy, the joy of being saved, you call it the joy of our salvation, that they would feel this bubbling up inside their heart like, you know what? If I died in a car accident, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be with Jesus. I may not be perfect. I may make mistakes, but I'm with him. He is mine and I am his. Father, may they feel and sense that joy right now like never before. And Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you got us here for this moment that you've taken all of our destiny pathways and you brought them into this place, into this moment today. God, thank you. Thank you. May we never be the same. And Lord, we bless you now in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen and amen.